Welcome, and you're listening to Geekologist Radio, a division of the Ninja Pancake Family of Podcasts. It's Cajun, and welcome to Geekologist Radio's special Westworld review episode, where we take you through all things Westworld, and so far, we think, accurately predict the future. Let's introduce our pair for tonight's cast. Um, first up, we got Mr. Dave. How's it going, Big D? Hey, what's up, man? I'm so excited to talk about this episode. I just, I love it. This is great. I look forward to this night every every week now. Let's do this thing. Yep, almost as fun as watching the episode. Maybe I would say more fun than watching the episode. Take that back. More fun because you actually really get to break it down, go in deep, and have drinks with your buds. So that's good. That's exactly right. All right, and uh, me, I'm Cajun. Uh, Chris couldn't make it. He has some work stuff handling right now, and none of the other regular geekologists could make it because we're kind of recording on our East Coast time now. We have a spread out across the nation, and we're starting a little earlier for the West Coasters. They're probably just getting home from work now. But um, one thing that uh, Warren recently watched from media outlets out there, media outlets, some of them have seen the first five episodes. That means there's two more to go that they've seen. So just be careful with some uh, predictions that are out there. And um, what I'd like to go right into is the title meeting. So, oh, no, no, not title meeting. Well, we got right. I'm jumping yes. all over yeah, the place. Yeah, we can't skip over that, man. That's too yeah. important. <laughs> all right. So uh, a couple of our predictions are tracking right now, and Dolores' reference to the park before, I, I think this is continuing the setup for disappointment, because she said very clearly that she's been outside the park. Like, have you been outside the park? No, I have. I think that's complete writer setup for her continual disappointment when she goes out and like, I've been, I'm still in the park, and then realize she's on an island. Yeah, I like that. And you're right. The way that they keep going back to it and she keeps saying, wait, you don't know the world outside like I do. I know how to beat them. I've been there. She's just so confident about it and bringing it up so often that you're right. It's really set up for a big a big fall there. Yeah, she's that braggadocio friend right now. And uh, <laughs> so uh, one thing about Ford's big game uh, is a big F you to William. That was what I was uh, predicting previously. And I'm, I'm going to examine more of this one later in the episode because I'm going to recap Ford's speech at the end of season one. And I think there's a lot of hints in there to what we're seeing now. And then one of Chris's was that uh, William and Dolores are converging on the same place. That was one of his predictions. And I think as of now, that's a given because everything we're seeing, they're both going to that same place. And um, that one's just going to land no matter what. They're going to be there. Now, getting into the uh, review part, which is what I jumped ahead to earlier, um, go ahead and start with the meaning of the title. Last week's reunion was easy. There was no need to get into it. This one's got a little bit more to deal with. The title was Virtue e Fortuna. And Virtue e Fortuna means virtue and fortune. Now, this phrase, Virtue e Fortuna, was coined by the Renaissance philosopher Machiavelli. Now, these philosophies weigh types of leaders. Machiavelli, though, he spins these words from what we think or we would define them to mean in modern interpretations. So virtue to him is a leader who's willing to sacrifice principles to achieve a goal. 
So not what we would consider virtuous, but that he considers a virtuous leader. He sacrificed principles to achieve a goal. Um, for tuna leaders, they allow their principles to set their path. And so um, virtue leaders, they take little chances and they're ruthless. Dolores. And Fortuna leaders succeed and fail by luck and don't carve their own path. And we're, I've seen that. I think we've seen that with two basic things so far. Um, one of the main ones we saw was very clearly painted for us with Stephen Ogg's character, Rebus, the guy with the giant mustache. He is directly reprogrammed from Fortuitous and to Virtue. And so, and it, oh, sorry, from Virtue in Machiavellian terms to Fortune in those terms. And this also plays out uh, in another part of the show when you see Dolores and Maeve and how they interact with other AIs. Um, Dolores is the virtue leader. Um, she uses other AI to advance her goals. She's a very Machiavellian leader with that. And Maeve lets the, um, the Indians, uh, ghost nation, she lets them live through Hector. She doesn't order him to kill her. And Hector the gunslinger who can kill anything, he's just shooting the ground right there and they run away. And that's her leading by fortune uh, and trying to run away. And then finally, Dolores tests Teddy and tests if he is her virtue side and he fails and goes for tuna there. So I think it hit us actually in three spots there. Yeah, and that's a really big one to me, the Dolores and Teddy interplay. We'll get more into that later, but I hadn't really thought about how that played into the show title. But now just hearing you talk about that makes me so much more excited to talk about <laughs> what I want to go into later. So uh, we'll get there. Yeah, excellent. And that one's that was to me, like, as I was researching the name of it, I was like, oh, man, they layered it in. And originally I was like, I was putting the words in the wrong places. I was like, yeah, it was virtue and fortune. They were playing it this many ways. But when I read how Machiavelli defined, like, we flipped everything. <laughs> Everything's mm -hmm. opposite. So rewrite everything in there. And I think I still had the words opposite in one of these parts in here. I was saying it wrong earlier. But uh, keep moving on. Uh, touched on the intro sequence uh, last week. I don't, I don't think it's changed. But one thing I noticed last week was there's a black hat rising to the surface of the water. It makes it look like it's blocking out the sun. Um, I, I predicted or I thought last week that it was foreshadowing Man in Black's death. But now I'm thinking, could that be just the death of his black hat? Could, oh. he, could he turn white hat? Beginning is the end is the beginning. You end where you began. He began with a white hat. He must end in the white hat. So maybe it's not Dolores' beginning and maybe it's his hat. Maybe it's his, uh, his choice. And I'll deep into that one later. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Uh, you're rocking my world right now, man. <laughs> you know because i think that that also plays into another kind of theory of where we think things are going or at least i do uh in terms of dolores and william in black and teddy and all that kind of stuff it's all it's all kind of coming together with that a little bit i like it man i gotta chew on that for a little bit though yeah, that's something I like about our show is that we have a lot of theory crafters. I've, I've read other stuff and seen the people where it's just a solo person or one theory crafter. And everybody's just like, yeah, good stuff. And we like we bounce off each other <laughs> and actually like, oh, no, this can't be it because we're picking it just like everybody else. So if a theory holds in this show, it's got some legs. <laughs> yeah. All right. So one of the big questions we started asking ourselves right away after we saw this episode is who's that lady? 
Sex and lady. Who's that lady? <laughs> so this new lady they introduce in the Raj, um, we right away, right? Did they just introduce Emily? And if you're trying to catch up with us, Emily is the name of William's daughter that was introduced in James Delos's retirement party. And we're like, she's going to appear maybe next season, sometime in the future. They're going to wait it out and surprise us with it. Did we see her already? What are your thoughts, Dave? Uh, you know, before we even get into her, I just have to stop and say how much I absolutely loved that whole opening sequence. I just thought that the way they set up that world, the Raj, to look like not just you're on in India hunting Bengal tigers, but the way that they really made it look like early 1900s, you know, English colonial garb. Uh, I just, the way that world came to life, I thought was amazing. I, I loved every minute of, of the visual effect of it and the way that, you know, the camera, camera kind of pans around and sees people in different situations. And um, I, I, I was sold on that world. I want to see more of that world for sure. I don't know if we're going to get to. I don't know if that was just a way to see uh, this woman, maybe Emily, you know, entering Westworld. I would have to think that we're probably still going to see 90% of the action in Westworld, but um, I want some more of that. I, I loved it. And if all of the new worlds that we end up seeing in this series are as intriguing to me as this one, I think we're in for a ride. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think they set themselves up because uh, although the major plot's been written, I think they left a lot of stuff open-ended. So I think if they continue to get some good feedback, they're like, well, well we don't have to do this story in Westworld. We can, they can take it into the Raj because it, they've established the borders now. When There was a point where we thought that these were, all, these were all geodesic domes separated by tunnels. Now we know it's just, it seems like one giant island just separated by laser gates. And warning bells and stuff like that, where people can walk out and uh, before AI couldn't. Um, so let's go into could this be Emily? Uh, so there's some pro Emily things we saw. Her name is not given, which is extremely common in shows like this. If somebody is not introduced with their name, it's because their name means something. And I think that's also why uh, Arnold is not saying the full name of his kid. That could because I still believe it's Charlotte and he's nicknaming it Charlie because that's the reveal. And I think there's no name given at all um, and in this one because of that. Um, another pro-Emily fact is I think hosts were trying to pull away that flirty guy. And I think they would only do that if the person that he was trying to flirt with was someone of importance to the Delos Corporation. Because um, we've seen other... Uh, guests interact with each other no problem but i think they were trying to pull him away from her because she went to be there by herself and she when she shoot him away they were good because they were going to keep coming um now the one thing i think as a pro emily is she has means of checking if people are host or not because i think she's looking for real experiences and the only other person that we know is looking for real experiences is william the man in black in this theory her father um and she also, she said she wouldn't put it past Delos to have hosts imitate humans. Which is big into our theory of them planting AI as real humans. Because she wouldn't put it past them. She knows a lot of stuff happening with Delos. That was a big, I think, hint there if that's who the person is. You know, we even see that with 
right from the beginning of the first season with Teddy riding into the park with uh, other people who are coming in for the first time, and he's there on the train riding in alongside everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, they're, tr- they're trying to go for that immersion and who is and who isn't right from from the start in Westworld. So I tend to agree yeah, with Emily there. Yeah, I like that. I, I didn't get that pull from Teddy, but yeah, that was part of the park too. Uh, I like that. Um, so oh, and we see her book, and she has a secret information about the park. Her dad also, in this theory, her dad has secret information about the park. What does she know about it? What is she looking for? Um, and in there, in that book, is the same image that's in um, when Bernard hacks Charlotte's information. It's the same uh, double hexagon image. Uh, another piece. So right now, what's that? Four, five, six, or like seven? I think it's like, uh, oh, yeah, p- things we have for her is is not just that she's in the park looking for secrets. Is she's in the park looking for secrets the day before Ford gives his speech to the board? I think she knows that she's in there at that time because there's going to be more people looking at Ford's thing than are looking in the Raj, and that's why she's there. So I think when she went uh, plays a bigger part to it um, and they would, might be distracted and only someone way up would know that. Right. And there are lots of things in there that give you an idea of when this is happening, too, because, you know, when when she shoots that guy that that she ends up with for that night, you know, obviously that's before guns are killing humans. And uh, we know that, the, you know, the, the very next day is the day that the hosts start going bananas and and breaking script and killing people so um so we know that that timing lines up exactly and uh, the only thing that doesn't line up in terms of uh um story there is the bullet physics because last season bullet physics in the early years of the park could hit you but in the future seasons of the park they wouldn't hit you uh it wouldn't hit a guest um and so either that's inconsistency in the writing or uh, there's something more there. Maybe distance has to do with it. But um, I hope they actually touch back on that because the, uh, the engineer in me is like, <laughs> Wait, something so wrong with your physics. <laughs> tell me more about that because I remember, as I think about it, the only time I remember a human getting shot and getting the bruise was the young William timeline. But I don't remember them specifically or explicitly saying that that was no longer the case in the later timelines. So there's two things that come to mind with it. One, um, I'm almost positive Man in Black was getting shot directly at in the future timeline of season one, and he wasn't taking any pushback damage. Like, uh, if we call her Emily, she shoots the guy, he gets knocked back. When was getting shot like crazy, he was getting no pushback. Mm-hmm. And there's another scene where they were looking at, they were doing a park check, and it was... Um, Oh, Luke Hemsworth character. I'm blanking on his name right now. We just talked about him earlier. Uh, uh, Ashley Stubbs. He was talking about in a park check, uh, and he said, "Yeah, bullet uh, bullet physics is is running um, normal right now." And so that has something to do with these are smart bullets, and they're they will hit AI, won't hit guests, and they have ways of checking that. And so basically, what I think is. Ford just turned off these smart bullet physics. You can't bring bullets in the park. You don't use theirs, but these bullets are smart. We'll just go with this technology being smart and can't hit humans. 
And that's the two things that make me think that instead of them being like blanks and duds earlier where AI get affected by, I think they're real bullets where I can get hit and they just use smart ones. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, all of that stuff is why we think it's Emily. And there's only two things that we could think of that might not be Emily. The show normally doesn't pay off reveals this fast. We got introduced to Emily as a kid last episode. It was a setup for a future reveal. Right away next episode, we get her. Um, that could be some trickeration as to who it is. The other thing is the character name on IMDb is Grace. So if you look her up on IMDb, the actress who plays Emily, it goes by the character name Grace. So that could be a misdirect or that could be the real name and we're wrong about all the other stuff and they're just trying to misdirect us on who Emily is there. But those are the the reasons who that lady is we think is Emily and not. David? Yes. However, just as there are certain things that maybe Emily would not put past Delos, there are a whole lot of things that I would not put past the creators of this show. Uh, looking at the depths to which they will manipulate social media and things that are out there on the internet. So I happen to be of the opinion that that uh, IMDB uh, name of grace for that character is absolutely a red herring because they do things like what I'm about to describe. So uh, after episode two, between episodes two and three, I'm goofing around on the internet reading about Westworld and I come across this Huffington Post article and we will post a link to the article in the show notes uh, when we post this. It just absolutely blew my mind. So let me give you the gist of it. Remember the photo that Abernathy finds that kind of blows his mind early on in season one. Right, there's a woman and she's in a jacket and it looks like she's standing in Times Square or, or in a city of some sort. So he finds that and that's kind of what triggers the, the issues that are going on in his brain and, and sends him down a spiral. So people last year took that photo and poked around on the internet and found that it looked like it was just a doctored stock photo that the folks at HBO bought. And if you go to this link that, that we'll share the link to, you'll see on Getty Images, there's a stock photo with that woman. She's standing in Times Square. The only difference is it looks like they slightly changed a New York City taxi to look a little bit more futuristic. And then they also put um, what looks like water stains over some advertisements for like Levi's that are, that are on one of the buildings. So people got really disappointed when they saw that. They said, oh, man, you can't even hire an actress for this photo. You're just taking stock images. That's really lazy. But and then we dig a little bit deeper. And you start taking a look at the photographer that did this stock footage, right? This stock photo. This guy named Eric Von Weber. Eric Von Weber, like Arnold Weber? Yeah. Hmm. And you start taking a look at the photographs that he has contributed and you start to realize that oh my gosh this guy doesn't just have a lot of normal photos of you know models holding a bowl of cereal or whatever you start looking through and you see hey here's a, a stock photo on getty images of a samurai guy who looks, looks just a like whole the samurai lot like the samurai that we saw at the end of of season one 
uh, with the helmets and there's like a little moon on the helmet and and uh, say oh my gosh what what's going on there so all of a sudden you see that there's a Westworld connection there and you start saying okay this is this is definitely related to the show they're planting this so in this Huffington Post article they go and they find the woman that was in the photograph and they're interviewing her about it and she kind of alludes to you know I didn't really know what the job was for I was told it was for some sort of a technology company very vague she did not recognize the name Eric Von Weber and she says she was surprised as anybody to see that that photo turned up in Westworld so a little time goes by and sure enough what ends up happening the woman that was in that stock photo ends up being the actress that shows up in this episode as William's wife. And she was an actress when that stock photo was taken. So the producers knew that she was an actress when they, when they are, that's the assumption they or whoever hired her to uh, take that photo. And the key part is she doesn't agree that the photographer's name is Eric Von Weber. She thinks it's something else. So there's definitely some mystery and intrigue there that, this stock photo account is run by the creators of Westworld. Yeah. And then to take it one last step further, when you look through the rest of Eric Von Weber's photographs, aside from the samurai, which, by the way, his head ends up showing up in the snow mound when they accidentally wander into uh, Shogun World at the end of episode three. Right. You know, when you see um, what's his name? Um, help me out. Sizemore. Sizemore, thank you. He pulls that head out of the snow mound. It's it's wearing this helmet from this photo. And thank you for saying wandering in the Shogun world. I've read and looked at so much stuff that's like, how did the Shogun get into Westworld? I'm like, they wandered into Shogun world. (laughs) That's my (laughs) belief, at least. We don't know for a fact, but that's my belief. (laughs) Yeah. And, And it could also be that it was one of the people that were in the building in the Mesa that kind of got out into the park, but I happen to think they're in Shogun World. But mm. but the last thing that I want to say about this too, if you look into Eric Von Weber's Getty Images stock photos, we also see a couple of other interesting photos that look like they could be people from other worlds as well. One of them is this kind of large shirtless guy with a heavy metal mask and leather uh, mask over his face and leather arms and he's got a a kind of a pike with a blade on it he looks a little bit like the caretaker of the rancor in Jabba's palace and then there's another photo as well of a knight in really shiny armor holding a sword so could these be hints at people that we might end up seeing in parks three four and five well we'll have to wait and see but either way this is quite a rabbit hole and it just shows the the lengths that the creators of the show will go to to add a little bit of intrigue and kind of throw the internet into a tizzy yeah and they definitely have their our rabbit and that was something i remember pointing out last season is dr robert ford is the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland because he wears the vest, has the pocket watch, takes people down rabbit holes and mystery. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely the rabbit in this case. And Dolores is Alice because she wears Alice's clues. It's great. So moving on, you know, one of the things that we talked quite about 
a bit about doing as we move forward is taking a look at some of the major characters in this show and examining their motivations. And not only that, but also checking in on them and kind of seeing where they're at in terms of achieving their goals as we move forward. So there are certain characters that jump out as, you know, this is a really good thing to explore with them. For instance, Bernard. You know, we'll take a look at Dolores. We'll talk about Maeve. We'll talk about Teddy as well. And as other characters come up in the future that kind of deserve the same treatment, we'll, we'll chat about that as well. So here we go. Let's dive a little bit into some character motivations. And Cajun, as we go into each of these people, feel free to chime in and, and share your thoughts as well. Are you uh, giving me free reign to interrupt you? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I shall raise my hand. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, but let's start off with Bernard. Uh, so you know that we've been on Scar Watch here, just kind of watching every episode and every scene with Bernard and looking for when does he have the scar in his temple from where he shot himself? When does he not have it? So we'll talk about the scar timeline and we'll talk about the no scar timeline. So in the scar timeline, right, this is after the, the gala, but before he washes up on the beach 11 days later. He really is caught between two worlds. And you see him so often sympathizing with both humans and with AI. So you look at the way that the captured humans are treated and you can tell that he really feels for them and he does not want harm to come to them. You see him wincing when some of the humans are shot. But we also see the way that he sees Dolores show up and, and the disappointment and, and wincing that he, you know, when he says, Dolores, what are you doing? And you see how pained he is. He, she is special to him and, and he relates to her. And he's really caught between these two worlds because he's been living as though he's a human for all this time. But he also obviously finds out that he's an AI. And so he understands kind of where they're coming from as well. You know, later yeah, he, on. He got, he got ahead, shocked. I think, I think he's still in shock from that he's still shocked from that revelation he's still shocked from shooting himself and so he's still and and he physically shocked because he's getting the brain fluid drain from his head so i think it's just different layers of shock he's going through right now and i i think that shock is legit um but as uh, one thing that, that chris put up that shock could be trying to mask something that they could be playing that shock, his and Abernathy's shock to mask stuff. So we'll see if that shock, the physical shock is legit moving forward. But continue, sorry. I agree. But, you know, that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about Bernard is that he really is trying to make sense of where do I fit into this world now? You know, everything has changed and my entire sense of self has changed. And so his motivation to me seems like, you know, I want to do right by both of these groups, but I also want to figure out where my place is with them and where do I belong and where's my sense of belonging here and what role do I have to play and how can I make this situation better? Uh, you know, and you see that come across in, in the way that this character is played so well. Um, mm -hmm. Jeffrey Wright's yeah. great. Yeah. One of the great performances of this series for sure. Jeffrey Wright is, is phenomenal. Interestingly, also, later on, when Bernard is awakened on the shore and he has no scar, he's really, it's deliberately opaque. It's very hard to read what exactly is going on with him. Bernard barely speaks. 
He just kind of shuffles along looking really confused, just following around those Delos operatives. That to me really, really speaks strongly of a big reveal coming with that uh, no scar Bernard, which we'll speak to a little bit more later on. But, you know, that that complete change in demeanor and that complete, you know, lack of communication and him being so opaque. There's more there for sure. Yeah, and he's not Bernard like he was before. He found out he was an AI before he shot himself, uh, before um, Ford's story started. He's he's none of that. those Bernards. He's a completely different person right there. And his motivation is, like I said, completely tough to identify because they're sp- deliberately not doing it. And I need, that reveal, which you're going to talk about later in your uh, predictions, I think needs to come sooner rather than later. Uh, or they need to stop showing Bernard in the future as much because it's going to be more and more relevant how much he's not talking. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Now let's talk about the motivations of Dolores. Now she's another really interesting character here and trying to figure out exactly what she wants out of the events of this season. And she, to me, seems the most malleable. You know, we see her in this episode more than any other this season. She really goes back and forth between elements of her Dolores personality and elements of her Wyatt personality. This really, to me, was the most humanizing episode for her. I found her a little bit different and off-putting in the first uh, episode, almost unrecognizable. But here you see pieces of the Dolores she was before coming through. You know, on the one hand, she's full-on Wyatt. Uh, I don't even know why exactly she wants to wipe out the Confederados so badly. She wants to sacrifice them, and sacrificing them really had no discernible effect on the outcomes of that battle. There really wasn't a reason to wipe them out. It's not as though it's the only way that we can trap Delos, because they were just marching forward in this weird lined-up formation charging right into where they had all the explosives lined up. Whether she shot all those Confederados through the door or not, that was going down. So she wanted the Confederados knocked out, and she used that as an excuse to get it done. Yep. Interestingly, uh, there were really bad tactical decisions on the parts of who we are told are some of the best Delos operatives around, right? They just kind of fan out. They make this straight line and just march across an open field. They don't kind of surround the town and come at it from different angles. They just kind of march across an open field and and get pretty mowed down. They do some work because they have superior weapons, but they definitely could have cut down on the number of casualties there by not just, you know, waltzing in the way they did. Yeah, that was a a lot of people in our chat were talking like, this was not normal like why is it going down like this this is not right and yeah I, I didn't buy like operatives coming in that way except for the way they shot it like we needed a shot that looks like this but nothing tactical but also these guys haven't been tactical because ai with pistols shooting slow have been able to take down uh trained soldiers with shouldered machine guns at the ready and so that none of that makes much sense in, in, from a logical standpoint. Yeah, and, and just 
one more thing speaking to how much more humanized Dolores seemed in this episode you know those scenes that she had with her father Abernathy were just really touching and we see this little bit of longing for wishing that she could return to the way that things were just a little bit and you know kind of thinking back in a romantic way about you know, her, the way that her life was when she was still in her loop. But of course she knows that there's no going back and she can never be satisfied doing that now. Uh, and she moves forward along her timeline and, you know, doing what she's going to do. But, you know, we, we see a lot of that coming through and a little bit of regret and sadness and that attachment to her father. Even knowing that technically it's not really her father. That was something that was scripted. You know, there's real emotion there. Right. And, and this plays into her motivations as a character are very two-tone. She's Dolores or she's Wyatt, but she can't go beyond those characters. So I'm still concerned that she isn't as fully awake as Maeve has been. Um, we were talking about this, who's more awake, and we've bounced between Dolores and Maeve. But this is like you could see her just go between two characters only, just like her dad could bounce between his, except his weren't coherent. She was very coherent, but she could only still go between two. And her two characters are virtue and fortune. So we got to see her struggle with that internal conflict of her, of her not as much conflict, but bounce between those characters. Because I don't think she struggles to go. When she needs to turn on uh, Fortuna, she can. When she needs to turn on virtue, she can. Uh, there's one I just added because as you were talking, it made me think of something. The Confederado leader. I mentioned last week how he was played as Jesus in the Last Supper, in that in that whole Last Supper scene. He was killed and was raised from the dead. And then all his guys were brought to this place. And then they were, we'll call them his apostles, were sacrificed. And he was left to live uh, in this one. And I think they're going to continue to play him as maybe a motivated leader. He's going to be giving motivational speeches. He's going to be some moral compass for somebody in the future, I think, because all of that imagery, because we mentioned earlier about why shoot them. To me, that's why you shoot them, because the same reason why have all those people sit on the side of the table, why shoot them in that scene is because there's this payoff coming in the future with them all, with him being a motivated leader and this Jesus analogy continuing. Um, there might be some significant payoff with that. So let's turn our attention to Maeve. You know, she, to me right now, seems the most simple in terms of what she's looking to do. She's very singular in purpose. She just wants to find her daughter. Uh, she really seems like the most black and white of all the characters' motivations. She's unrelenting. She's unwavering. So in a way, I almost expect her to take the biggest left turn because... She seems so simplistic right now in terms of what she's looking to do. So we'll see where that goes. Teddy, yeah, on the other hand. I'm oh, sorry, did you have something to add about Maeve? Yeah, I do, I do because uh, she is playing the uh, the Fortune character right here very well because she is not taking, she's not doing things that will help her succeed. She's more leaving things to chance. Uh, Single-minded focus, going to do what she needs to do but is not leading. And I think now that she has a, I mean, 
she's got a posse right now. Before I was concerned with my call of her and Dolores being leaders of AI, that she just had like one AI and, a, and some dude with and a Sizemore with her. That now she actually has a posse of people and she's becoming more and more a leader. She's gathering her troops with her. Um, but will her taking all of her leadership decisions as chance and not taking strong decisions to help her succeed, will that help? And I think that right there, uh, as part of the title of the show and how she's acted, we'll see how that continues to play out if she has to switch and actually take, make strong decisions in the future. I like that. I like that. That's interesting. One last person who I want to dig into their motivations because I think this is really going to end up being a big deal is Teddy. You know, we've we've spoken already about how up to this point, he's largely just been following Dolores around like a puppy dog, right? But maybe not for too much longer. So I'm wondering if Maeve's speech to him in episode two, you remember the one, he kind of says to him, are you free? Because it kind of looks like you're just a slave to me. You're just doing everything that Dolores is telling you to do. So I wonder if that really got into his head and made him think about how free he really is, or is he just the pawn of a tyrant? In the end, we finally see in this episode, Teddy decide to do something on his own. So he decides that that command from Dolores to go and kill the that confederado, he decides it's not right, and he lets him go. And Dolores is standing off to the side, and she's watching. So I'm really curious to see also, what, you know, what does she think about that? Was she deliberately testing him? Is she watching that happen and thinking, uh-oh, I wonder where this is going to go? What are your thoughts about that? So, yes, uh, when I saw her hand that gun to Teddy, it was, why are you making this cheap writing scene? Go kill them out back, which is what all the bad villains do, and the hero escapes. Again, leading into my Jesus character and who the Confederado is, he escapes to continue to preach on. But this plays exactly the way you said. This was a test from Dolores all along. I don't think it was an accidental test. I think it was very purposeful. And she looks disappointed at the end. But what if she wasn't? What if that was, again, the show playing us? What if she is proud that Teddy stood up for himself there and became his own person and didn't follow her orders? Hmm. And that gives her more confidence to trust Teddy. Now, that's just, and that's a complete 180 from everything we saw, but it's just throwing it out there. And I don't think that's actually what happened, but I'm thinking because of this show has so many twists and turns, and I don't think her emotions were that clear in that scene. It could be. So. All right. So, you know, we'll revisit next week, and we'll talk about some of those characters and their motivations and goals and kind of check in on where they're at after episode four. In the meantime, though, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about what we know and what we don't in the show right now why don't you get into that yeah so we had a uh we had a couple new segments here we had who's that lady we had the, the character motivations that we talked about last week but now we want to do something weekly called fact versus fiction and these are things that happened in the last episode and we want to cover what do we know now from stuff we see in the last episode to what do we don't know now 
new new um, secrets. As the season goes on, we'll be adding more stuff to what we do know because that's how this show goes and less than what we don't. But let's go with what do we know from season two, episode three. We know that Charlotte has not seen Bernard since they separated in this episode. So we saw them separate when uh, they she ran off on the horse and she hasn't seen him was it 10, 11, whatever, two weeks later when uh, she gets, he gets brought to her inside the cradle. Other thing we know, we know all the parks are in Ford's new narrative. We know all the parks are in revolt because we saw Park 6 in the Raj, the AI, uh, these violent delights have violent ends. And like I said, in episode one, you can't say that phrase enough in Westworld, and they gave it to me in episode three. They didn't say it in episode two, but they gave it to me in episode three. Give me all the odd episodes, I'll be happy. That's a, that's a line <laughs> I want to hear all the time. Um, and we also know that park barriers preventing AI from leaving are inactive. This is a big discussion we had last week. Could they leave? Could they not leave? And we've been kind of really thinking about that. Like All these AI besides Maeve have had their explosives things removed. Can they actually leave? And now we know for sure they can't because see that tiger walk right through the gate and he doesn't blow. So Ford turned it all off. Now, what we don't know, new secrets. What's this symbol on the map and in Charlotte's file? What does that mean? What do these two double hexagons intertwined mean? We don't know. What is that symbol of? No clue. Uh, we don't know what is wrong with future Bernard. He has no scar. Like you said, he's opaque. He's not acting like Bernard. What is wrong with him? We don't know that either. We also don't know if they're in Shogun world or have samurai from Shogun come over to Westworld. I mean, we both believe that Lee Sizemore is lost because he even says that. He says that he's lost. Uh, down below, he doesn't know which way he's going. Uh, and he guessed that they're on that mountain. But I'm pretty sure they're in Shogun world at this point. Uh, we don't know where. Peter Abernathy is, because last time we saw him, he was being brought out by Charlotte, but she doesn't know where he's at. Or she does, but we don't know where he's at. Um, now, Dolores says something. What does she mean by a kind that refuses to die in the real world? She makes a reference talking about the real world and how she's been there. And, and over there, there's a kind that refuses to die. Does she know? Is that the secret? Does she know this AI in the real world? Mm. or is she talking about humans who don't die in Westworld because they can't be killed in Westworld until now? I don't know if it's a telling line. I'm going to have to rewatch that. I don't know that I necessarily picked that up on my first watching. Now, now you just gave me some homework. Yeah. Now, I don't remember what minute mark you're in, so you have to watch the whole episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you twist my arm. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Now, um, the other thing is, why did that Delos team come to the park? Not the one that assaulted the fort. The one that assaulted the fort was already there. That was the force that was already there. They just came out to assault it. Why did this new force that we see two weeks later show up there? Because Charlotte was clearly told no help would come until Abernathy was found. But there's help now. Why are they there? Did they finally just say enough is enough we need to go in there and do this ourselves 
did something happen to get them there? We don't know why they're there. But there's an ultimatum, a clear one given, and now they're there. Hmm. You know, I think this is a fine time to head on over into predictions, Cajun. Yes, because I've been waiting for you to go into this one. We've hinted it like three times now, this prediction you have, because of the <laughs> stuff leading into it. So let's do this. Okay, let's do it. Um, so I've been talking a lot the past couple of episodes about kind of where I think things are going to end up with Ford's storyline journey into night. So now I have a little bit of a new wrinkle that I think fits right in there. And it's about Teddy the Turncoat. So previously, I kind of talked about the fact that I think eventually Dolores was going to ditch Teddy and she was going to join forces with William in black so that the two of them could go and seek out the door or a way out of the park and into the real world because they'll realize that their their fates are intertwined and that they're both trying to achieve the same goal. So... You know, for William and Black, maybe it's bringing those same life and death stakes out into the real world because he always said he felt more alive in the park. And for Dolores, of course, she wants to escape into the real world and, and be free. So, you know, here we saw Teddy starting to split just a little bit from Dolores. He makes his own decision there. And maybe Maeve really sparked that idea in Teddy that he should not be just mindlessly following Dolores, but rather seeking his own freedom of thought. So in this episode, when we see Teddy go up against Dolores' wishes, he's choosing mercy rather than killing again and again at her behest. So maybe the flood and the massacre of the huge number of hosts is Teddy's doing. So... We also have this ongoing theory about there being multiple Bernards, right? There's a bunch of different Bernards, and you can just take his brain out and slot it into a new Bernard. So maybe in that same vein, Teddy, his brain was removed and put into a new Bernard body. And then that way he could escape from Dolores and from Westworld, and maybe that would be his path to freedom because he knew that As one of these hosts that was being hunted, he had very little chance. So maybe he allowed his own body to look like it had been drowned. If you remember, it was, you know, he's laying there Mm -hmm. under all that water. And we dramatically see his hair waving and all that. Maybe that's just his shell, but, you know, his mind is in Bernard. And Teddy kind of does all of this to try and either, A, stop Dolores and, and William in black... Or just to make it look like, oh, there's finality here. We wiped out all the hosts. We're good. It's just good old Bernard left to kind of give himself cover to to move off. So he maybe opens up that flood. And so the one word that we hear spoken there, you know, we see Bernard in that 11 days later timeline saying, I did this. I killed them all. So maybe that's Teddy looking back at what he just did. And it lines up with the scar theory, too, because we know that at that point, you know, Bernard has no scar. So so our theory is that that is a new Bernard that we see waking up there. It also lines up with the fact that Bernard has very little to say. You know, when people are asking him, hey, what happened at the party? Teddy's not going to be able to expand on that. He doesn't have anything to say about, you know, what happened at that party. Now, the only thing, and I like theories like this because... Theories like this that are so like 
that catch me off in left field. I'm like, whoa, 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 that can't be right. But then you start talking about all of these legs this theory has. I'm like, oh, that it stands with this, it stands with this, it stands with this, it stands with this. But the one thing that I'm struggling with is that Teddy couldn't change his own brain out. So someone or something had to do it, and who was it? So is it Dolores to get Teddy out of the park? Is it Bernard to get Teddy's brain out of the park? Is it any? Is it William? Is it Charlotte? Is it any of a number of things to get whatever Teddy's brain is, if that's the case, out of the park? But the one thing that it can't be is it can't be Teddy doing it himself. But who did it is the thing right there. Because it, it explains a lot. Of the, the opaqueness is just it's so glaring. And this has a great explanation on what it is. Because Teddy's body is dead. And the character said, I did this. Um, but then all of these other legs about him turning and all these other things that he needs to get free and he needs to hide from something and somebody. And I like it. Yeah, and I agree with you too. I think that that's something that's kind of up in the air and I don't know that we have enough information to really kind of start to speculate about that end of it. But uh, maybe when we're talking again in one week from today, we'll have another couple of pieces we can put together and either completely discount everything I just said or or, uh, (laughs) add to it. Uh, as I like so far, very little of our theories have been completely disproven yet. So we're going to have one of these that's just going to be a complete bust. But very, very little I can think of this season. I can't think of any, actually, that have been just complete busts because they haven't given us that much information. Well, so. listen, let's just both agree, since Chris is not here right now, that it'll be Chris's theories that all go bust and ours are going to just be spot on. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> now... Well, maybe this one, uh, I'll actually give Chris credit a little for this theory. Actually, give him a good bit, because I think Chris was the one that first brought this next one up. Um, yeah, no, this is good. Yeah, so he brought this up in uh, in chat, and I originally just completely disowned it. Like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. And then I dug into it a little more. Now, this theory came from Reddit, and Chris brought it up in chat. He's basically saying Ghost Nation is protecting humans. And I'm taking it a step further and saying uh, Ghost Nation has been reprogrammed by Elsie to protect humans. Um, And he might have said that to him, uh, but there's a lot of conversation happening. But I'm really feeling this Elsie part of it. And if you don't remember who Elsie is, Elsie was the tech that we see Bernard choking out late in season one. Now, we know Elsie is still alive because Westworld's uh, web audio... Uh, there was a reveal in there and it was Elsie's distress call. You can hear her calling for help at the end of season one, but this was a web release. It was like a little scratched up audio and in there, in that scratched up audio was Elsie's distress call. Another reason I think this thing has legs is Dolores kills one of the Ghost Nation and stating it didn't deserve to go into the valley beyond. Can she see, can she see intent? Is that also kind of leading into what she can see with Teddy there? Can she see intent? And that's why she killed Ghost Nation, because she knows it's trying to protect humans. Since Elsie has disappeared, we haven't seen Ghost Nation hostile to humans. That leads us along those lines. Well, we saw them take stubs, but could that be just them rescuing him? 
So mm-hmm. Elsie learned something in season one that Ghost Nation are older model hosts and that older model hosts can be reprogrammed on old relays like the one Teresa and Arnold were using and like the one Elsie was near when she was kidnapped and where she's probably still near. So could she use that old relay and reprogram old hosts? And that's also could be why Maeve's mind control, which I had forgotten about that. Chris reminded me that she did show some mind control. Like when she was near other hosts, she could say things and they would listen to her commands like they would do to Ford. Why that doesn't work on them. The other thing is that Stubbs is still alive. We see him two weeks later and he was captured by Ghost Nation. So we know they didn't harm him. And he was searching for Elsie where she disappeared. So she, they could be there protecting her. They captured and protected her, released him when he was okay. And the other thing is that this is an extension of that theory is that originally Elsie could have programmed Ghost Nation to protect her, which is why they take Stubbs. And then when she realizes the park's intent, she sees the code, she sees what's happening through monitoring or whatever, she rewrites the code for Ghost Nation to protect all humans. And that's what they're doing right now. And that's why they target Sizemore and they want him. Hmm. So this has oh. On her legs, but at first, no, it's just like Ghost Nation protecting humans. It doesn't make any sense. But when you start seeing all these things, man, this thing's got some legs to it. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I love it. I think it's great. And you're right. It's always the little things and the little details when you start to think these through because there's so much going on in, in all of these shows and it's so layered that, uh, you know, when you think of little things like, Hey, why were Maeve's commands not working on Ghost Nation? That to me is like a a big red flag. I could understand why they wouldn't work on hosts from other parks. Maybe she's only to affect able to affect people from Westworld or hosts from Westworld. But Ghost Nation is from Westworld. Why can't she stop them? Curious. Yep. And then the last thing was one I teased earlier. What is Ford's new narrative? What is Journey in Tonight? And I believe Ford's speech from last season gave away everything in his narrative. So I'm going to go through his speech. I'm going to read it to you. And we're going to pick apart these words real quick. Another last thing. All right. This is a speech. Good evening. Since I was a child, I've always loved a good story. I believed that stories helped us to ennoble ourselves to fix what was broken in us, and to help us become the people we dreamed of being. If that is not AI awakening, I don't know what is. Hmm. It ennobled themselves, it fixed what was broken in them, and it helped become the people they dreamed of being. Remember my theory from before, the ones that dream, that if they believe their dreams were reality, they become awoke. Boom. And now back to the speech. Lies that told a deeper truth. Very next line. Lies that told a deeper truth. Uh, This could be anything from Delos right now. I always thought I could play some small part in the grand tradition. And for my pains, I got this. A prison of our own sins. So right here, I really believe he reveals that he's been a prisoner of Delos this whole time. By creating this AI that William took over and created this prison of his sins, creating these AI. Yes. (laughs) Let's continue to blow your mind. 
back to the speech. Because you don't want to change or cannot change. Remember, no, he's speaking to the board now. He says, because you don't want to change or cannot change. Because you're only human after all. But then I realized someone was paying attention. Someone who could change. Who is his story for? Well, it's certainly for the AI, right? Which is not... Mm -hmm. Well, it's for William and Black, right? So if it's for William and he can change, I realized someone was paying attention. Someone who could change. But then he says... So I began to compose a new story for them, right? That's plural. That's plural, and the other one is singular. So is he, or is he dual talking here? Is he talking about AI who could change, but is he also talking about William who could change? Because he's came out and said this story is for you. He's AI last episode were constantly making sure William stayed on the story's path. They were killing themselves to make sure William stays on the path. Everything's happening now with this AI to keep William on this path because can he change? And this leads me back to the beginning of what I talked about, intro scene, black hat floating to the surface, not William's death, but death of the black hat. The beginning was his white hat selection. The beginning is the end is the beginning. Hmm. All right. So back to the speech. So I began to compose a new story for them. It begins with the birth of a new people and the choices they will have to make. This is the plural. This is the AI. This is their choices. Yes. And the people they will decide to become. We're seeing that in spades right now. And we'll have all those things that you have always enjoyed. Surprises and violence. Yep. It begins in times of war. Yep. With a villain named Wyatt, Dolores, and a killing. Ford shot in the back of the head. This time by choice. Dolores this time does it by choice. Yes. Previously when she killed Arnold, she didn't. She was programmed by Arnold uh, to do that. And okay, back to the speech. I'm sad to say this will be my last story. An old friend once told me something that gave me comfort. Something he had read. He said that Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin never died. They simply became music. So I hope you will enjoy this last piece very much. And at that point he shot he became music. He became this story. All the AI that programmed are his music. He became that story because he wrote all this. This is his final story. <clears throat> when I read this, I blew my mind. Yeah, I love it. You know, and there's little pieces that now in hindsight means so much more, right? The, that whole idea about the birth of a new people and the choices they will have to make, uh, but especially the part about, you know, realizing that someone was paying attention, someone who could change. At first blush, it seems to me like he's talking about the AI, uh, but throwing in the idea that it could also be William because we know that he says, uh, this new storyline is for you, William. So <laughs> he straight up says it. Yeah. yeah. So that makes you think, all right, you know, we're either talking about both groups or maybe this is largely William or or maybe once again, this is him trying to inspire William to be the one that helps open that door for Dolores and everyone else. Uh, you know, and, and he, he meaning William and Dolores realize again that, you know, their goals are one and the same and they both want freedom for these AI and real consequences that go along with that and and maybe they're going to work together to do that yeah 
And right now, Dolores is, she, I think, originally was freedom. But I'm I, when you said freedom for the eye, I'm thinking back to Dolores's motivation. I think her motivation right now is kill all humans. Like, she has evil motives right now. And I think the only way she sees her survival is kill them all. And um, that, I think, for her has to be a learned change. But, oof. Good stuff. Oh, and there's one thing. I was going to find a place to mention this, but um, the tiger. The yes. CGI of the tiger running was great. The model of the tiger laying on that, that shore was, what the hell is this? <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Um, and the biggest question is the tiger, how did a dead tiger wash up on shore faster than a woman swimming? That scene would have played so much better if you just saw a dead tiger floating in the water behind it, and then you just made the assumption that it landed on the, sh- the shore later. How it landed in front of her in the exact spot just because they could plant it there blows my mind. They've... Well, I mean, she obviously saw a dolphin and played with it for a while. While the tiger went, washed up on shore, she was just frolicking, having a good oh, old time. Right, riding the dolphin around. See, <laughs> see that makes, makes sense. sense. It's it's layers. You peel back the layer of the show, and you make you make a complete prediction with no legs and no evidence whatsoever. It's like, ah, it could work. <laughs> Westworld. Prove to me she didn't ride a dolphin. Dang it, I can't. The show. Because <laughs> everything could be real. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and finish up. Uh, any last things, Dave, before we finish up, though? Uh, is it Sunday yet? No, no, it it shall not be Sunday. <laughs> Can't wait to have Chris back and hopefully somebody else from uh, Geekologist Radio or somebody can get on soon because we have more stuff to talk about. We have, oh God, it's great to bounce this off other people. Uh, where can we find you, Dave? Sure, you can just find me on Twitter at BigD112358. And you can find me, Caucasian Saint, on Twitter, all one word, C-A-U-C-A-J-U-N-S-A-I-N-T. You can email us, podcast at geekologistradio.com, Twitter at geekologistradio, minus the T for character restrictions. Find us on the web at geekologistradio.com or on ninjapancake.com. And that's it for us. Uh, we hope to be back with some of the same things we had previously. Who's that lady? Fact and fiction. And I'm going to get caught up on character motivations because we're liking those little bit of segments we put in there. It gives us some focus. So let's go ahead and do that again next week same channel that's right don't forget about scar watch yep scar <laughs> scar watch 2018 <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all have a good one